Well, I'm very excited to introduce you all to Mrs. Patricia MacArthur. She is um, a lady who has devoted her life to being a wife and mother and has been an example to many other women in that way. You know that her husband is our, the president of our college, and he's the pastor of Grace Community Church. And um, I know some of you are very interested to hear about some of her, her experiences with the car accident, but I want to ask her a few other questions just about her life and her family to have you get a little bit acquainted with her just in general before we get into that. Um, Patricia has four children, and many of you know Melinda. She's a current student here right now. Can you tell us a little bit about the other three? I think they all three graduated from Masters, right? Tell us a little bit about them. And it's Matthew, and he um, graduated from Masters as well as his wife. And they have two little boys. And our second child, our first girl, was Marcy, and she graduated from the Masters College, met her husband here. And she's expecting her second baby. She has a little girl. And then our third child, second boy, was Mark, and he uh, as well graduated from the Masters College. And he was married a, week, a year ago, February and um, married his high school sweetheart that went away to another college and, and they came, met at a funeral, actually, of a mutual friend oh. and um, kind of rekindled their feelings for one another. And then um, our fourth, the second girl was Melinda and she is a sophomore at the school. That's great. She was my partner in the accident. In the accident, <laughs> right. <coughs> um, we had um, we had about a hundred of these gals on a retreat this last weekend, mm-hmm. where we talked about marriage and singleness, and then we talked some in the chapel on Monday about male female relationships. And um, Dave Maddox shared with them some thoughts on what they should look for mm-hmm. um, in a potential husband. And I think it might be interesting. One of the things we found with the gals over the weekend, and many of them were saying, "How do you know for sure that this is the right person?" Um, I think they'd be interested to know a little bit about um, how you arrived at the decision that John MacArthur was the right person for you to marry. <laughs> and he was not a worldwide known figure at that time. No, he was my Bible teacher at um, the church I attended. He was a college Bible teacher. And I, um, I was kind of running around with his sister, Jeanette. And um, the truth of the matter, I was engaged to another young man, uh, when I was running around with his sister, and um, did I say engaged? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. Well, I didn't know if I said I was lonesome anyway. That eventually um, ended, and uh, I began to date my husband, present husband. And, and it was a difficult time for me because it wasn't like I just met him and began a relationship, and it, you know, culminated in marriage. I had the confusion of a previous relationship, which was hard for me. Um, I called the wedding off simply because not not that I had any doubt in my mind about my love for this first man, but I just had no peace about it. And I can't put my finger on it. It was nothing specific. Um, he was in medical school, and I just pictured having to get married, and he was in medical school in San Francisco. And it was a lot of immature thoughts and feelings and fears, but I think they were of the Lord ultimately knowing that God had John for me. Uh, and I think we probably complement each other more than the other fellow. We got along fine. I mean, it's it's not the kind of thing we used to fight a lot or disagree. We had a lot in common. Our families were compatible. The only advantage, or well, there were a lot of advantages, but one thing that really stuck in my mind was the fact that 
John's parents are Christians, and it's such a blessing to have Christian grandparents. And Toby, the first fellow I was engaged to, was not from a Christian family. And that was important to me, but um, I just, I had the invitations written and everything. I had all my bridesmaids' dresses. I had everything done just a few weeks before the wedding. I just didn't have the nerve to send the invitations out. And to this day, I can't tell you why except God intervened. You know, it was nothing. I could say, well, I didn't like this about him. I didn't know this. I just had no peace or even the boldness to go through with the wedding. And um, so we called it off, and then I began to date Johnny. And um, it was it was just a very difficult time because I totally would come home from college and I'd see him and my feelings would be rekindled and and then by that time I had become attracted to John I admired him and so it was difficult the indecisiveness that I went through and um, it was hard on my folks it was hard on his folks it was hard on him but uh, finally after a two-year relationship um, we kind of broke up, and he started dating another girl. And when I signed with somebody else, I realized <laughs> I cared more about him than I realized. And that if I, I wanted to, <laughs> if I didn't want to lose him, I better make haste. So, I within two months, I finally went to him and I said, "Well, Johnny, I said I think I know what I want, and if you want to set a wedding date, then I'll, I'll <laughs> go through with it." <laughs> so. I got my wedding, my engagement ring in June, June 10th, and we were married August 30th. So, <laughs> once I made up my mind, I made up my mind. You know, it's interesting, gals, the second time around that way, I had no doubt, I had no fear, I had no anxiety. The Lord had really confirmed it in my heart. That, but I did have to go through a time of, of indecisiveness, and, and I did. I used to just pray the Lord would take my feelings for this first man away and that, you know, that he would just intervene because of my weakness. And it didn't work that way. It was a decision I had to make. And um, I did, and it's been a wonderful life, <laughs> 30 years later. So. Now, what, you married John, and how long after that was it that you all came to Grace Community Church? I married John when he was in his last year of seminary, and um, I was working, and he graduated and I think, well, about May or June. And he was working at his, no, he was working at uh, his dad's church at the time, that's right. He was working as the youth pastor and custodian and a few other things. And um, and then he graduated in 64, and we went to the, we didn't go to the church till 69. He worked at Talbot Seminary mm-hmm. on staff there for three or four years. Worked at his dad's church for several years and then worked at the seminary as kind of a PR man, he went out and, and filled pulpits that were, and in particular, the what church we're at now, he went just to fill the pulpit there because the pastor had died of a heart attack. And um, and it was about the time that Matt, our first, was going to be starting school, and Johnny traveled a lot during those years, and, and it was hard on, on us and the children, and so we just prayed the Lord would make a change in our life. And uh, so the church that he was... Um, Interim in he was doing an internship, interim pastorship, and they offered him a permanent position there, and we've been there ever since. And when you first went there, how many people were attending Grace Community Church? Four hundred fifty. Four hundred and fifty people. Okay. Um, It's been a big change. Yeah. But you tell me the other day that you that 
you just grew with the church. Yeah, I mean, people often ask me, what's it like to be married to a pastor of a larger church? And I said, well, I honestly don't have any to compare it to, first of all. I mean, it's Johnny's dad's church I was in when we were going together, and there was about 1,000 people then. And then when we went to Grace Community Church, it was small, and we just grew with the church, you know. As the church grew, that's all we knew. And it's like somebody that has six children or four children, I'll say, how do you manage so many? But, you know, you just have one at a time, and you you just do what you need to do to make it happen. You just don't think anything of it, you know. As the family grows, you make adjustments and, and grow with them, and you have nothing to compare it to, you know. And so... Um, I was young. I was in my 20s, and I had three small children. In fact, Matt Mark, who graduated from, from the college, was seven months old when we went to the church. Mm-hmm. Melinda was not born for five years after we went to the church. And um, so your little family's growing, and you're busy, and, and the church is growing, and, and um, it just happens with you and around you. And, and um, it's not as traumatic as going making a move from a ch- one particular size to another size, you know, and having to... Yeah. But now you've gone from being the wife of a man who was known mainly to his family and his small church to being a man who is the author of books and with a worldwide tape ministry and has traveled doing pastor's conferences all over the world. And there are probably not too many countries in the world that you and John could walk into and not have somebody recognize him from his picture on different things. I would think being, in some sense, a celebrity and, and certainly somebody who's known for worldwide ministry, I would think there would be certain benefits with that, but also certain struggles that make life hard. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's been for you personally? Well, um, there again, that's something that we've, I've just grown when it, with it as it happened. But um, the disadvantage, I guess, is your, your life is not your own, somewhat. Um, there are a lot of demands on your time and expectations and there's a lot of criticism um, as well as affirmation Um, but God has always just given me the grace I guess to accept it Uh, it's not always easy people say how do you handle criticism of your husband I just said I don't you know I don't like it (laughs) but what can you do about it I mean God is our defender and um, he my husband's accountable to the Lord and, and he searches his heart and I'm accountable to my husband and and, um, it, you know, I just learned to accept it, I guess, Betty. I just, um, I know my heart, and I know my husband, and I know his motives, and I trust him. And so um, the Lord just has to reveal the motives of my husband's heart and, and make certain those that he's going to use to minister to are met. So. Okay. And, and there are a lot of advantages to being married. You know, I've been able to, we've been able to travel and, and, and see um, people and, and get a realistic approach to life, realize that we in America have so much and that this is not the norm for most people around the world. And um, we have a lot of people praying for us. We have a lot of people caring for us. And, and um, the benefits, I think, far outweigh the negative aspect of it. So it's been good. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the car accident. I think probably most of us remember where we were and what we were doing practically when we heard um, about this and how serious it was and we're really frightened for you and immediately praying for you. Um, And you told me the other day that it's not uncomfortable for you to talk about it and how it happened and what happened at the time. And 
So can you just start and tell us what actually happened that day? Well, I can't, but I can tell you the results of it. And, you know, as I was sitting and listening to the gals speak, I realized, you know, even though I went through a traumatic thing, my life was not lost, and I didn't lose a daughter. And so when Donnell and the gals were speaking, I kept thinking about how good God really has been through all of this. I mean, he's taken me through some things, and I think Melinda has learned some things, but he spared our life, for which I'm very grateful. Every time some special event comes up, it makes me kind of weepy thinking about it. I'm a mother of four, so when I hear Donnell speak, I think, oh, I can't imagine. Anyway, like when Marcy's pregnant again, I thought, now, if I had died, I wouldn't be here to enjoy this exciting time or anything, something happens in the ministry or a family event. I just think, I mean, life would have gone on without me, and I would have been better off. I have no doubt or question about that, but I just think about the things the Lord has allowed me to enjoy and to see. But anyway, that day, I'll just start briefly with some of the things. I don't know if Melinda will mind, but I'm going to do it anyway. Tell them some of the things. I think part of the reason we had the accident was her fault because, not really, but she had taken a summer trip that summer, which was a year ago, this next summer. And when Melinda was 15 and a half, she had an opportunity to go to Australia and live with a family and go to a private school. But she was very excited about it. I was opposed to it. Uh, just because I felt she was too young to be traveling abroad by herself. And she's a little mom. She's just a wonderful opportunity. I may never have another one. And she went and had a wonderful time. She had her 16th birthday. And just all kinds of exciting things went on. And she didn't have any reservation about it at all. But last summer, for some reason, Melinda left with a lot of reservations. And even when she left um, in the airport, she was very hesitant about leaving. And I, I... I somewhat encouraged her to go in spite of her feelings because I felt it was a good experience for us. She was going to be visiting some of our, past, our, minister, our um, missionaries and living in the homes. And I just think any experience like that is, is healthy because it keeps things in perspective for us here. So she went, and it was a very difficult summer. She, she didn't particularly enjoy it. Now that she's home, she looks back and she appreciates it more. But she would call home and say, Mom, I just I have these terrible feelings that I'm not going to get home. You know that I mean? not see the family again and this and that and so I would encourage her to get into the word and I, I felt it was a spiritual problem failing to trust God and this and that and, and to get into the to the word and to, and to spend time in prayer and just commit it to the Lord well, anyway Melinda ended up coming home a week early because of a lot of circumstances over there well she came home on a Monday and Tuesday we had our accident and we were just heading up towards Wrightwood uh, Melinda and I as we were going up 14 she was reading a magazine and had her feet up on the dash, I believe, and I and she had a Keith Green tape on. And I don't remember what happened. It was 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And it's the last thing I really kind of remember is uh, grabbing the wheel. And Melinda, I remember her screaming. She grabbed the dash and the side and just kind of screamed. And that's the last I remember. And then the next thing I remember, we woke up. I was in the hospital in intensive care. And um, she, the Lord just protected us in so many ways um, through this accident uh, so many people ask me what I've learned and so many things I have learned but in particular I, I realized that God is a sovereign God and that he is our protector uh, I know that our days are numbered more than ever before 
and nothing is going to interfere with that calendar, God's calendar and time clock for each of us. Um, he orchestrated the whole thing in so many ways. My son Matt was in front of us on the freeway. He was going up to meet my husband John at the golf course. And um, don't ask me why. We've never met and driven up the freeway following each other. We weren't going to see each other again. You know, he just followed me, Mom. He was going up to meet Dad, and where we were going was going to be packed into the golf course on 14 there. And so, on 138. And so, he was right in front of us. And uh, when the accident happened, he happened to look in the mirror and saw a dust line and saw the cars going south beginning to break. So he knew something had gone wrong. And what I had done, I guess, I got over into the soft shoulder and the bottom of the car bottomed out on the asphalt where the soft shoulder had been washed away. And I guess it frightened me and I overcorrected. And I went flying across the northbound lanes, across the southbound lanes, and hit an embankment and flipped the car over and over. And it broke my neck and broke my face in four places and uh, broke my, my clavicle. And um, I had nerve damage in my arm to where it's most of it's back, but I still have some impairment. Broke my left hand. And uh, Melinda had about five stitches only on the side of her head here. And Because um, the roof of the car just came The down. roof came yeah. down. In fact, the pictures of the car, the roof of the car is lower than the headrest and the car. And yet... The Lord spared both of us. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, the guy that picked up the car couldn't believe anybody lived that had been in the car. And the and, first uh, people on the scene? The first person on the scene of the accident was my son, Matt, and he came over and he thought I was dead because I was blue and wasn't breathing. He couldn't get a pulse. And the second guy, so he left me and he said he went over to the side of the road and thanked the Lord, you know, for taking me to heaven. And... Um, <laughs> And then it was a really difficult time for it. It was traumatic. And then he went over to take care of Melinda to see if she was okay. And um, in the process, a man, the second man on the scene of the accident was a, a young man that uh, his girlfriend wrote me later after hearing about it on the word on the radio about the accident that it was her boyfriend who was an off-duty paramedic. And when he saw me, he immediately knew my neck was broken, and he knew enough to pull my jaw down, and I was probably choking on my tongue. And he got a pulse, and uh, but he knew enough. If it had been anybody else seen the car, they would have said, we got to get her out of here. You know, the car, car's going to catch on fire. But instead, he had a, enough knowledge and sense to not touch me. And the doctor said if they had moved me, I probably would have been paralyzed for sure. And um, so, um, and then the helicopter arrived, and Melinda was going to have to take an ambulance to Palmdale in the ambulance because she wasn't uh, serious enough to go airlift to trauma center. And Matt was there, um, which I'm really thankful for. It would have been difficult for her to be up there and us at the other place. And he said, no, we're all going in the same vehicle. So he said, okay, jump in. And Melinda was already in the ambulance, um, uh, ready to be taken up to Palmdale and uh, arguing with the ambulance attendant that she was a Christian. She didn't need oxygen. <laughs> he said, uh, I, that's fine. He says, you may be a Christian, but you're going to get oxygen, too. <laughs> So she was up in the, one of the beds in the ambulance, and she was singing Make My Life a Living Sacrifice because that was the last song that was being played uh, on the tape deck. In fact, it was still playing when the car was sitting there, and, um, which made me feel good because I realized I wasn't playing with a tape deck. You know, I, I still understand, except <laughs> the Lord allowed this accident to happen for a reason. And, and I know more than ever before that everything that comes into our life, if we're really his child, uh, is for our good and his glory. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I don't think our, our good is ever at the expense of his glory, but I think when anything happens, uh, those two factors enter in, and uh, without doubt, he, he is in control. You know, even in the accident, I realized that he allowed it to happen for a purpose, and um, more and more I'm, I'm learning that, you know, that he, he allowed the car to be flipped and for us to both to go through it to teach us that he's in control of our life. And um, why he spared me paralysis, I don't know. Um, sometimes I, I say, you know, jokingly and yet seriously, he knew I couldn't paint with my mouth like Johnny. <laughs> and I'm not a writer and I'm not a speaker, so he allowed me to carry on with my little uh, mundane things as, as a wife and a mother. And um, um, But it, when I got to the hospital, every doctor that came in to see me I, would, I broke my neck in two places, C2 and C3, which, first of all, the doctors all have said that anybody that breaks those two vertebrae usually has less than 5% chance of not being a quadriplegic, which I find would be very difficult. And then secondly, C2 and C3 uh, dictates your respiratory system, and usually you die. If you don't die, you have brain damage, and if you don't, usually you have paralysis. And when the doctors would come in and say, where's your paralysis? I said, I have none. And he says, my, you're a lucky lady. Mm. And it gave me an opportunity to say, no, I'm not lucky. I just really am blessed, you know, that God has been exceptionally gracious to me. And um, I will be eternally grateful. Mm. I really am. Every time I, you know, when I laid in the hospital, I, I was so thankful that I could move my arms and legs. I really, I cared that I had all these other disorders. But, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a major concern to me. I was just so thankful that God had spared me paralysis. And Johnny Erickson came in the hospital to see me, and she was so sweet. My one arm was paralyzed at that time, and this time was in a cast, so I was totally helpless. But she came in and several times, and, and she just shook her little paralyzed arms. And she's, oh, Pat, I'm so glad you're not a quad. Mm-hmm. She'd just been through celebrating her 25th year with paralysis, and um, she knows what in, is entailed with that. And she's such a neat lady. She mm-hmm. was just thanking the Lord that... He didn't choose that for me. But instead, Ken, her husband, got down on his arm, on his knees, took my arm in his hand and just prayed the Lord would restore it. Uh-huh. You know, just my one limb that was um, temporarily paralyzed. And um, so the Lord really used them to minister to me at that time, too. Tell us about the halo. Well, <laughs> the halo is um, it's a metal thing. When you, when you fracture your neck, um, so that... None of the fragmented parts of the bone go into the spinal cord because that's what causes paralysis, and it has to heal in proper alignment and everything. They put um, all this was when I was kind of unconscious. I don't remember any of it. It wasn't painful, and even when I had it on, another thing, Betty, the Lord has been good. I had severe migraine headaches before the accident, and um, I've had one mild migraine since the accident. And even all the time that I had the halo in my head, which they put two pins in here in your skull and two back here, and your head is just held erect like this all the time. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's you're, you have no. Otherwise, you go into surgery and they fuse it and put plates and all that uh, in your spine. But um, when I woke up, I was in a halo, and you don't, you know, every place you turn, you're fixed, you know. So when you're sleeping, you're like this, and if you turn this way, you're like this. And so I had that on about a little over two and a half months. 
And part of that is something that goes around the middle. Yeah, a big heavy vest that used to be plaster of Paris when it was originally. And that's another thing. The man, the doctor that was on call in the trauma center when I was admitted was less than I would choose. And, well, he just, you know, he really was. And that was verified by my brother-in-law who worked with him at Cedars and said he was not a real responsible. Anyway, I wasn't happy with him because he never responded to my calls. He never, my hands and feet went numb. And I had an infection in one of the pin sites. And I kept calling him. He would never call me back. Well, in the meantime, I got a letter from the man that invented the halo, who is a Christian man. And he's retired now because he's had a stroke. He's up in his 70s. But he heard about my accident on the radio, wrote me a letter, and just said, I want to know who your doctor is, who your technician, that's the one that tightens the screws when your halo comes loose, and who the hospital that you worked out of. So I called him on the phone, and he referred me to a wonderful neurosurgeon that was just, I loved her. She just, and I thought, there again, God intervened. Just, and it seems like small ways to some, but it was a big way to me. I was very upset about my neurosurgeon. He wanted to take me right back into surgery because of my, all my paralysis and stuff. He wanted to put me back in, do a myelogram, and, and rush into things that really, as we look back on them, were not necessary and could have been very serious, even could have caused paralysis after the fact. And um, so he wrote me, and, and I went to see Dr. Egan, and um, she was a wonderful doctor. And after she found out about my, the numbness in my hands and feet, she thought maybe there was a pinch nerve and I would have to have surgery. So she... Um, but the, the halo is the metal thing here with four rods that come down, and it's attached to this heavy vest that you have to wear from here to here, and which means you can't take a shower, you can't, and it's really cute trying to get on a cabinet to wash your hair, you know, with this big halo on your head. <laughs> but all things are possible, I guess, when there's a will, there's a way. I remember and John joking at one point that they were going to, at Christmas time, they were going to hang Christmas yes. ornaments on you. Did <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to laugh some and yeah, have some humor I, I really in the midst was. of all Once this? I knew, and it was hard in the hospital. There were some times I laid there and, and feared paralysis. I just, I really did. And one little gal that was in the next room to me, she was 28, and she did the exact same thing I did, very much like Ashley Sims and her brother went through the same thing. They went and saw, or lost control and flipped out. And she was coming south on, on I-5, had the same accident, and her cousin was thrown out of the car and was killed, so she had a lawsuit going against her. She was in the, in the trauma center with me. She was totally paralyzed, a quadriplegic, all for it. And she came into my room just totally in this big brace, and she immediately wanted to know where my paralysis mm-hmm. uh, was. And I said, uh, Jeanette, I, I don't have any paralysis at this time. Now I try to name all the things that were wrong so she'd feel better. <laughs> I say, but I, I have this and I have a broken neck and all these things. But um, mm. she, um, what was I starting to tell you? Something about Jeanette. You asked me something. What? Um, Oh, yeah, I did fear paralysis because as Jeanette had come into my room and I saw what was involved. I mean, she was she had a three-year-old girl. Her husband was a substance abuser, and I talked to her a few weeks ago. And she's really struggling, and she received Christ after the accident. She was under the influence of cocaine at the time of the accident, so she has a lawsuit going against her by her aunt and uncle. Her cousin was killed. Her husband uh, is, is not supportive in any way. He doesn't work. And um, she's just had a really difficult time with her paralysis, and... 
her accident happened in June, and when I talked to her, she said, I'm still trying to get enough strength to manage to pull myself out of bed into the wheelchair before I can go to my permanent residence. And through the holidays, she had to put her little girl in a home with another family because she couldn't trust her husband with his drinking and drug abuse. And uh, it just made me realize how thankful I am and, and how much the Lord has spared me from. And, um, and there never is a day that I wake up and just take it for granted. I honestly, just to be able to walk into the bathroom, you know, I just say, thank you, Lord, for the ability to function on my own. Because mm-hmm. uh, you lost that. that for a period of time yeah. there. <laughs> I did. In the hospital, it was kind of hard. And it was so temporary compared to these other gals' testimonies. But um, when I went to the hospital, I had this halo on, and then I, this hand was in a cast because my hand was fractured, and this hand was paralyzed. And so I could do nothing, you know. And it was not real exciting when I'd have to call for the nurse's aide, which for some unknown reason they were always male. And he'd walk in, and I'd ask him to help me out and, you know, lose all my modesty and... And uh, about in the process of him taking care of me, he'd say, oh, I know your husband. I, <laughs> I, uh, I used to be in the prison at Castake, and he came and spoke there one time. And I said, oh, good. <laughs> so finally, after a few days of that, I don't know why, almost all my nurse assistant or the nurse's aide very often were males. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the point of it, but... I asked uh, after a few times them saying they knew my husband well if I could have a female nurse. <laughs> so. And there were some lonely times in there? Yeah, at night the it was hard. Um, the nights were long. Yeah, Laying there, I couldn't sleep too well with the halo. And I wasn't in pain or suffering so much as just, I guess, the trauma of the accident and all that was going on, my family coming down from Oregon. and just There was just a lot going on. And and my husband's um, busy life and the need to be there, on a, you know, became a lot and was really good to me. But the nights were long, and when you can't sleep and, you know, um, they tuck you in for the night and expect you to be quiet. Um, <laughs> you try to, you know, adjust to that. And, um, but I got out early. They said I was healing unusually well and fast, and I think they were sick of all the people, too. <laughs> Every day, you know, all these people were coming in, and, and um, so they let me go home after three weeks. I was supposed to be in there six or seven weeks, they said, and they said that I could go home if I'd had some, some help. I know your family was close before this happened. You felt like it drew you even closer together. Yeah, I mean, it, the Lord used it in my family's life as well um, it taught them a lot you know that we you can never take anything for granted I mean I just um, I think yeah I know it did I mean we, we appreciate life much more mm-hmm. um, and um, every time I see somebody in a wheelchair or, or somebody that is, that is paralyzed I just think how easily that could have been me you know and if the Lord was going to give me a choice I would choose to be in heaven I think, because I think it would be a, such a difficult task for my husband and for the family with the busy life that we have to um, have one so dependent and um, be able to accomplish all the Lord has obviously brought into my husband's life. I'm remembering one more thing that you had mentioned to me about.